I'll take it away. Welcome to episode 22 of the Reimagining What podcast with Rochir Nort and myself, John Wenger. And we have two very special guests. That's Kenneth Mickelson and Anas Abild. And um, Kenneth and Anas are co-founders of Future Shifts. And Future Shifts is a, a global network of, of leadership development practitioners. And they aim to help leaders rethink, redefine, and reshape their organizations so that they're better prepared for new futures. Um, they have developed a leadership compass, and hopefully in this conversation we'll get to hear more about that. Um, Anas brings to Future Shifts his, his focus and passion for the inner world of leaders, around that, that self-awareness stuff, understanding of self, identity, and values. And Kenneth brings his focus on the outer world of leaders, um, learning, connecting, collaborating with others, societal change, and megatrends. And so it's my pleasure to welcome you both, Kenneth and Anas. Welcome, Hi. guys. Thank you very much, and thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. Well, very excited to hear what unfolds in the conversation. I Absolutely. I had, had many conversations already with, um, with you, Kenneth, and I know the work that both of you have done is really fascinating. Um, just to start with, to ask both of you, what, what would you say was, I mean, I've got given an introduction, what would you say, from your words, is your sort of field of interest and expertise? I think, you know, John, also I've, I've mentioned this to you earlier on also, that when people ask me what I do, it's often a difficult question to answer in a very short time. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm a journalist, I mean, I live in more than, than one world, and what I mean by that is actually that that I've had I mean a tremendous amount of experiences in my life. I've played um, semi-professional football. I've been backpacking around the world. I've uh, I'm educated as a journalist um, in the, uh, from the Danish School of Journalism. Um, but I've also lived in in, in India, in, in in Mumbai, in, in Paris, in France, uh, and and then I worked for almost a decade as a, as a knowledge broker for um, international business schools, actually finding their stories and actually disseminating knowledge and, and telling stories about how people actually applied knowledge in a practical way. Um, and and now, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a leadership advisor and, I, and a learning designer, so that's, I, I would say the, you started out by saying that the, the focus on the outer world, I mean, I, I have a general interest in, in context, in understanding situations, in seeing connections and, and, and looking at, at the world through many different lenses and, and, and I mean what I'm interested in or what I'm driven by is, uh, is, is of course I mean <laughs> combinatorial creativity and a, in a very, very, I'm a, I'm a very curious person basically. So <laughs> that helps a lot uh, <laughs> in my line of work at least. Um, mm. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe you can take. Well, I'll take it from there because, um, well, you know, one of the things that, you know, I frequently get asked the questions what I actually do and, and what, what kind of line of work I'm in, and I'm, I'm always a bit confused about whether I'm a practitioner or a scholar, and uh, or whether I'm a farm boy or whether I'm an academic. I, I, I don't really know. I'm, like Kenneth, my background is extremely mixed. Uh, and most of the work that I do today is with international global organizations. It's it's on primarily on key talent level or senior executive level, and yada yada yada. You know, I could do all the credentials, but I think what really you know, if, if I have to say what really uh, floats my boat, I think it's um, uh, when I was a young boy. I, you know, I grew up on a farm in the southern parts of Denmark, and I remember. 
remember coming down one, coming home one day from school. I was, it's, I must have been around uh, fourteen, fifteen, and my um, my dad was sitting on the staircase outside the, our barn. Where, you know, we, we we used to grow pigs in there. You know. Yeah. Uh, like most people in Denmark, really, most farmers grow pigs in Denmark. But, but this is back in the 70s. And um, I remember walking up to him, and he said to me, you know, Anas, he said, I, I've, I've just had it, he said. I've, I've really, I've just had it. I, I, I'm going to give up farming. Now, what you have to think about is uh, we, we, we come from a long line of farms. This was 400 years of farming that happened in that same slot of land. Just giving up. Farming. It wasn't just giving up, uh, changing one job to the other. It was actually um, giving up in desperation uh, because he saw the reality that he'd been grown up in, the, the life that he'd had. He could no longer match up with what he was doing. He just couldn't live in that life anymore. He was just lost. You know, it was at the time when, uh, when farming changed from being a lifestyle to being industrial. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I would say that ever since that day, I would say that the main purpose in my life has been to uh, been to help people that are lost, really, whether they come from their trader life or whether today they are, you know, running global companies, you know, being the CEOs in a global company. It's the same human feeling of being lost that I find and that I kind of recognize in people everywhere today uh, and in all levels in organizations. So what do I do? Well, I try to navigate and help people that are lost, finding their, you know, I hope helping them to find their way back to some place where they will find some kind of foundation and understand just what they can, how they can continue their lives and how they, it can, you know, how it can be meaningful to them, how they can find purpose in it. Mm. So the, the thing so is that... Does that yeah, it does. I've just uh, that's a that's a it's a really exciting description that you've both put. I'm thinking of the synthesis that the two of you would have created in with leaderships, um, and you know that kind of you're talking about lostness, and I'm thinking about the the context that you refer to, Kenneth. That we're in a time of you know people use the word liminal liminal times. There is a there is so much upheaval going on. So the bringing of your your kind of interest in in the external and the trends and and the context and the bringing of as you're bringing of the you know helping folks who are lost and there's that inner journey that people go on when they go like your dad I don't know where I'm at where I'm going and what's the point and I know that that kind of um, the narrative around lostness and, and so on comes through in in the work that you've done developing the your compass um, yeah so with, with that you know that there's a there's a synthesis that you've brought together in the in your both both of your interests what are some of the shifts that the two of you see going on in the world today that sort of has moved you to create leadership? Yeah, well, um, why don't you do that? Well, I, I think, you know, I um, um, I think I, what we're talking about is basically that, that are, I mean, two kinds of, of changes going on in the world, and you can talk about shocks, which are like financial volatility, the, the situation in Greece, for instance, uh, just last Sunday. Um, Wars and terror. You can have fluctuating oil prices and movements in the world. These are things that happen gradually or or out of the blue, so to speak. Um, and then you have the slides, the, the more incremental changes, the the climate change, the technological development, uh, globalization, and 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 shifts in in demographics as well. Uh, and and you know. All of this is just in a mixed in a big pot, and 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 I think, and I think 
what's really difficult for people, and especially leaders, is to make sense of all of this. Mm. Um, also because the way we make sense of this is looking often at this, these changes through, a, through, a, through one certain angle of the lens, and that's also coming from the old industrial paradigm of looking at things in, often in a very linear way. Um, and and what we're basically saying is that well, in order to 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 actually live comfortably and but also to navigate in this world, you then people have to engage in a mind shift, and a skill shift, and a behavior shift, mm -hmm. and in organizations also a system shift. Um, and what do we mean by that? It's it's basically, you know, the 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 the, mind, the shifts are actually a. A, um, a response to this to the shocks and slides, meaning that that for instance we move from, from that whole moment from from me to we, we we are talking a lot more about trust, how important trust is in, in the workplace nowadays. Mm -hmm. Also moving from this short sightedness and and and, and fulfillment of uh, shareholder uh, needs mm -hmm. to a more long view and and, and, and systems thinking and integrative thinking of, of about things. So that's the mind shift. Um, and when we talk about the skill shift, it's more like you know, uh, embracing this, embracing curiosity, and also having this feeling of, of making sense of things, and, and and how do you actually build that? And and, and also, Anas and I we had this discussion <laughs> yesterday evening about, uh, I mean, the use of technology and 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 how it's it's both a good thing and a bad thing in our life because. Um, do we choose to actually master, or how can we master the tools and not let them actually be be enslaved by them? And and and, and I mean, there are so many ways of actually embracing technology and using it for a good purpose, and, and, and using it for social learning, um, and and also being able to, to recognize patterns. Um, and I think when we're talking about that of course ties in with the whole behavior shift. Also, it's about you know we're moving gradually from 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 a perception of things that it's about taking as much as you can, and it's a it's a win or lose game. Um, mm -hmm. Where we're talking about that is also about about giving, mm -hmm. um, about being relevant mm -hmm. in the world. That that you need to be socially relevant as a company. Uh, we see that also with um, with a lot of companies actually looking to. Identify and and bring out their purpose. Um, that's actually basically just a, a, a an exercise in actually um, being socially relevant in people's minds. Wow. Um, and I think there's another there's another aspect in that also that we move gradually from this whole idea of pushing things, pushing sure. knowledge, pushing information, mm. pushing uh, uh, messages and marketing to actually pulling people in by being relevant. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also this whole uh, major shift from moving from, from heroic leadership to actually distributing leadership and understanding that we're moving from from um, from from hierarchies to what John Hosman would call hierarchies. Mm. And how do we Mm. And of course, the whole culture shift that we are talking about in all of this, which is the outcome of this, is that it is a new reality, uh, and that's why people are looking for purpose, for meaning, for engage. And we talk about a lot about engagement. How do you engage people in the workplace? But also, people express this 
longing longing for a place to belong, basically. Can I say something? Because I think, you know, cause, cause what, you, what, what you can also hear, John, it, it's that this whole, it's just a massive change. We're, we're kind of sensing, I mean, if it had, you know, shifts have always happened. In human lives, shift is a, it's a human fundamental. Sure. I still remember yeah, when, when I tried to introduce uh, change management to a larger uh, global Indian company, and I said, well, you know, they asked me in their portfolio what is missing, and I said, oh, you don't have anything about change management. He looked at me and he said, this is India. You either change or you die. Yeah. <laughs> And so that has been the truth in some continents where scarcity kind of rules. Mm -hmm. Now we are seeing a global move towards scarcity. All of a sudden scarcity is more on a global level. There are 7.5 billion people, lots more, a lot of more competition, and the rap, you could say the change pace has just picked up. Uh, where these big shifts happen, you could say generationally speaking, we would always we would always identify big shifts and we say, oh, every 25 years it changes how we perceive reality and culture and so on and so forth. But today, that pace is just up. I mean, we're talking about where you know people like us, we would have get have to get used to a new interpretation of reality every 25, 30 years. Kids today do it with five-year spans, one, two-year spans. Sometimes the, the, the big change is just happening so fast. It's like watching culture in a strobe light, and all of a sudden it's changed, and you hadn't seen it coming. So oh. we're just like my dad, constantly sitting out there and feeling lost, sitting on those benches feeling lost, because the pace of change has gone up. Uh, and, and, and I think this is why this, this whole aspect of bringing these uh, different shifts in, the, you know, the, the mind, the skills, behavior shift, and the system shift into a cultural context. Because, you know, let's face it, the purpose of learning has always been uh, sense-making. And sense-making condensed has always led into a cultural understanding, meta-stories meta about, you know, how, how reality is put together. But all of a sudden, we're, we're finding ourselves in a flow of changes where we don't have the time to consolidate our understanding of what's, uh -huh. what's down, what's right and what's wrong, okay. which means that we are in a constant flow of, 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 we have to be in a constant flow of learning, relearning and re-relearning and throwing out what we learned the one day we have to throw out the next. Right. You remember the days back when the computers were new, we learned floppy disk and then you had to learn all this. You know, all that knowledge was thrown out just 10 years later. And if you, let's take that on a global level with the changes that are happening. We're throwing out these systems that we've learned regularly because reality just changes. Mm. And it just puts a strain on people. Mm. What, was that going down the right line here? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I, th yeah. I, th I think it's, um, it's very accurate. Oh. Um, you know, you know I, I think, John, what we talked about earlier also is that uh, you know, if you, if you look at this as a, uh, you know, I, I don't like using the word a game because I don't think what we're, mm. we're doing here is a game. No. Yeah. But 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 the rules of the games are changing. Um, so so what can you do in this world to actually, I mean, live in this world with uh, without being. Uh, uh, that you actually you're actually losing yourself in this, mm. and I think what we what we talk about is actually that people need to grow this um, adaptive game perception, that the perception of things need to change, and mm. and, and basically mm. you know it's a it's it's this ability to both 
anticipate, but also to make sense of and analyze uh, a different situation, and then come up with a timely response. And and you know, uh, this the well the, the future is is constantly in the making. So it's also about mm -hmm. actualizing this emerging future by mm -hmm. being capable of doing this and and understanding that. Um, for instance, uh, a good friend of friend of ours, Hal uh, Yaki, calls this uh, living a, in perpetual beta, and I think uh, yeah. that's yeah. true. It's in a constant becoming that mm. we're living, mm. um, and uh, and, and that's for the challenge me, for people. And there's like there's a there's a meta level of understanding that I think that that yeah. needs to kind of come about. And then I, when I hear about your work in creating that sort of the mind shifts, the shifts in perception, this adaptive game perception, I think that's absolutely key because I think we. You know, I, I, I like Harold's terminology of that because I think the, the shift broadly is moving from this sort of old paradigm, you kind of talked about it, a mechanistic, that kind of moving to a sort of post-scientific, post-mechanistic world where yeah. we've grown up um, thinking yeah. that, that the universe is controllable and predictable and it's also desirable to control and predict it. So now we're seeing all of our models and tools for, for controlling and predicting are just failing. And so I kind of see the same sorts of accelerated changes. And I know there's a lot of stuff out yeah. there in the media about it's not being accelerated. We're just seeing it more. But I, I do think there are a lot of changes that are accelerated because that the old paradigm has sort of come to the end of its shelf life. Now we are having yeah. to get, get used to living in beta, that the, the universe is neither is it controllable nor predictable, nor is it desirable to control or predict it. So how can we... I guess yeah. um, prepare ourselves, you know, develop the capabilities to be in that constant, like you described on as that that life in India. That was my perception when I first went to India, looking down my hotel balcony at the life that was on the street, and I went, "Okay, this is a different world." And it was a really, a different... really interesting experience, sort of jumping in that river, and you have to learn how to deal with what emerges in the moment. It's fascinating stuff. Can I ask a question or 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 drop something? Cool. Yeah. Because uh, you're talking about this, this, the perpetual beta state that we live in, and and change is is going uh, quicker and quicker. I mean, it's I don't know exactly what kind of rule it is, but the development of technology goes quicker and quicker. Yeah. And and, and that means that you know computers get quicker, so everything happens faster. Mm -hmm. And and uh, like Anna said, we have more people on the globe, so there's more brain power to change things quicker and there's a, a certain need to change quicker in order to adapt to the, the this, this, this this wave of change that we have so if you talk about adaptation and teaching and these kind of things if you is it, is it that you teach somebody to uh, adapt instead of teaching them look this is a new app or this is a new form of communication so we're going to teach you that but instead yeah. of that, you, you teach them to be aware of this perpetual state that we're in, in order so they their mind gets wrapped around the fact that it actually happens. Because uh. I think mm. that's uh, uh, I don't know if if that is what 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 you teach or whether it is something that that is just in my mind sounds really good. It's a good I, question. It, it, yeah, it's it's, and I think. I mean, all of this ties in basically also with with the notion that that you know um, you know that also with with working with technology for uh, here that that you know you have this exponential line that technology is changing us really really fast, but our ability to learn is sort of a constant. Mm 
So you have that that uh, intersection where we're use we're moving from the old industrial age to the mm -hmm. call it the network age or mm -hmm. the connected age. That suddenly the ex the change is, is really exponential, but our ability to learn mm -hmm. hasn't grown yeah. with that. Mm -hmm. um, but but I think honestly, you, you well, yeah, but because mm -hmm. I, I, it's exactly you know the way I've always kind of looked at it is uh, and people have talked about it. I, it's not like it's you know this is not rocket science. Other people have talked about that that cultural evolution has bypassed the human uh, biological evolution. That means that we are lacking behind. Things mm -hmm. are have paced up in such a way that our usual way of of adapting has changed. We we can't keep up with the pace. All of a sudden, it's like the machine. You you know, in science, in science fiction, it's all about the machines or artificial intelligence taking over the world. You know, the apprentice becomes uh, becomes the the teacher, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And and now coming back to what you're saying, Roger, is is um, so. What, how do we work with people around that? Well. What I what we find is that today we have forgotten the fun, human fundamentals or the human basics about learning. Hmm. Now, uh, for the, that's where our idea about or our thinking that is around triple loop learning comes in. Um, much of what happens today is very much about teaching people policies or practices, but it's very little about actually doing practice. You know, the, the single loop learning is learning things in practice it's that's how we change our behavior that's about what we do double loop learning is more about learning a policy of practice or how we do things and triple loop learning is is kind of the meta understanding that the one that informs our perception or the why we do things the way we do things mm -hmm. and you could put it this way that these are all enmeshed in one another on several levels and they feed into one another you know if you learn the one thing you learn another thing Put it very simply, uh, people practiced medicine before there was, uh, you could say, that before there was an actual practice or theory around medicine, before there was an education around medicine, before you could even talk about the principles of performing medical, uh, you know, medical uh, procedures, right? That was all, so people practiced way before, but what we've forgotten in many of our schooling systems today is we've forgotten the single of learning that means focusing on teaching people a practice before a theory, and we have never really started talking about the triple loop learning. What are the meta-understandings behind, what does it make us think? What is the perception that comes out of when we work with things like the way we do? What is the, and this is coming back to also what, what Kenneth was saying a minute ago, this whole thing about uh, 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 social relevance, because if people, if people just focus on how to do a good practice, let's say a good practice of financing, it becomes the closed system where you don't have to get your hands dirty in, in practicing by, let's say, like they do in, uh, like Grameen Bank was, by lending out money to the poor people, handing it over directly. So if you, all you do is learn the actual policy or practice of financing, sitting in an ivory tower and not getting your hands dirty, how are you going to see the consequences of what you do? And if these catch up with you, you get surprised. And secondly, you know, what is the purpose behind financing? What you know, I, I ask some uh, sometimes even when I ask sometimes I ask adults, uh, you know, or, or senior executives, I say to them, what is money really? What is what is what is the financial sector? What 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 is money really? What is it a symbol for? And a lot of people don't know. It's, it's like it's like uh, you know, you know, Marx would say it's accumulated work. 
there are other definitions, but people have, have no meta understanding of what they are working with. They don't have that triple loop learning. So, mm. and that's kind of lost in many of the business schools today. It's all about how we do things. It's not about what we do exactly. It's not a real or practice. Why? Or why we're we doing it exactly? So it's it's just we all all we do today is we work with people in a, in what I call a double loop learning group. So it's uh -huh. not, yeah. So it's not founded, and it's not uh, and it's not and it's not taken on a higher level. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I don't know if that made sense. Makes sense to me. It's very very much in line with with, with how I approach learning as well, Anna. That that triple loop. It's yeah. got to be on a very deep level. It creates some really significant shifts. So that when yeah. you open your eyes, you see the world differently. It's a bit like, I kind of sometimes liken it to that moment in that film, The Matrix, where he's looking at the screen of all those things and he sees. I think people have got to have those, okay, I have seen something. I cannot unsee this. My world has changed unutterably forever now. And those deep changes have got to happen in the context of all these big, you know, big slides and shifts that you're talking about as well. So, yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, you know I think also, you know, a lot of... The, Often we mention this. This, I mean, we make this uh, distinction between uh, the use of a map and a compass, for instance. Yeah. I was yeah. just going to ask you what, about that. Yeah. yeah. What's the difference, actually? Because, you know, I, I'm a very uh, big fan of this. Uh, I, th I think we even talked about that earlier on, John. I'm a very big fan of yeah. of uh, Borges as a as a writer. Yeah. And he has this wonderful story about this um, empire where the where a bunch of uh, Photographers are actually asked to draw the empire, and they end up drawing a map, a map that is even bigger than the empire. So the the the, the perception of reality actually becomes reality, mm -hmm. and and you know I think that's such a such a fine image of of what's going on in a lot of companies today, that we have this this mm. perception of things that well we put in performance uh, performance management systems we have these kind of rewards. Uh, we do recruitment in this uh, way. You know, we, we've drawn a lot of maps, but does it make any sense? Mm. In a, and a lot of times we're just talking about common sense. Mm. Uh, and and I think that's that's the that's probably also why people are so disencouraged or not not encouraged to, to actually go to work and look for meaning. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. You reminded me of the story actually when you when you talked about that with the maps versus compass and the use of that the the Borges story. Mm -hmm. You reminded me of a moment when I was doing some work with some folks and they had some, the the HR person went to the whiteboard and was drawing the traditional hierarchical tree diagram of the organization. But as he mm -hmm. was speaking, he was narrating something completely different, and it was a really bizarre moment when I was. It was like sometimes if you're listening to your iPod and watching television with the sound down, you hear something that doesn't match. And I was hearing this really wonderful story about this really life-giving place where everyone was providing shared leadership and they were stewarding this organization. But the picture, it was like he was trying to shoehorn the real common sense of what was actually happening into an old map. And that for me was a real, was really pivotal for me of how some of this stuff had to, we just have to change those, those deep models of how we view our daily lives at work. Yeah. And I think a compass, I mean, your use of the word compass, and earlier, unless you were talking about people being lost, I think compass is a really compelling description of the work that you two have developed. Yeah. Yes, and also because I think, you know, it's sort of a headline to all of that, I would say, is about that this is a, this is a, uh, this is a process of discovery. Yeah. Uh, that we, we, 
you mentioned the, the liminality also, John, as being in a in a sort of in a confusing place, an in between place between between two worlds, basically. And you know, when you're in that place, and and of course, uh, I think there are a lot of people who are at the forefront of things. The early adopters, they find themselves in there at the moment, um, and and. And it's a confusing place because you do, as Anasi said, you don't know what's up and down, no. and you don't know what's right and wrong, and 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 you have to be in the question with people rather than coming up with all the answers and, and just displaying all the answers to to new problems or challenges. Can I can I ask? I'm, because I'm interested in the context in which you place your work. Like you've, and as you mentioned, business schools. I think you've both mentioned business schools. You've talked yeah. about your family history a little bit. Um, you've talked about your background, Kenneth. This sort of very general the sort of generalist trajectory that you've been on and I'm yeah. interested in we're in this world and it's affecting everyone and some people feel it, feel that kind of I don't have a purpose in my work but they can't make much sense of it there are people in organizations that you might be working with where do you go to and bring your work because everyone needs the sort of thing you're describing everyone needs to make sense of this bizarre stuff that we're going through John mind yeah. your microphone okay <laughs> Very good. One, uh, well, it, I think one of the um, you know the, there's one aspect in our in our compass, which you know you could say it's one of the directions, or whether it's one of the directions or the core, is is about um, is about what we call clarity. So clarity is more like you know if if there is no if there's no sense making in the outer world, you need to start making sense from your inner world and outside. Uh, it's not about it's it's not uh, it's not the Greek uh, classical Greek idea uh, know who you are, but it's more about you know uh, coming to terms with your history and what it has left in you, the legacy, your own practice. Again, now this is single loop. Your own practice, your own experience through life has left in you. So rather than thinking in terms of these normatively defining what is the right thing and the wrong thing, it's about kind of helping somebody go on a journey into their, uh, helping people journey down the past and looking at what were the significant experiences in my life that uh, that uh, helped form me. And out of these significant experiences, how do these link into the things that I find as are under attack but which at the same time could be my non-negotiables, like my value systems. So I would say clarity is about helping people connecting their own history with the values that exist in their life here and now and making conscious decisions about which ones are actually wearing the pants. You know, it's like, you know, the old Austin and Searle idea of that in any sentence, one word always wears the pants and defines its meaning. Same thing here. It's about accepting that you may have you can say words in your vocabulary or values in your system that may not, from a normative point of view, be very attractive. Like uh, one leader I was working with, uh, I can give several examples, would have, for instance, money. You know, money ahead of family. If you had to make Sophie's choice between family and making money, it was money. Uh, now, that's not necessarily very sympathetic. Uh, you could say that. But at the same time, it was everything that kind of identified what he was doing in his world. And that was how he was navigating. Uh, by recognizing that he had that value, however, and that it was a core value in his life, it also made sense in the light of some of the uh, things he was facing externally and some of the some of the things he was doing, that it that that he would have had, if that was his value, there would be responsibility tied in with that. 
So that, that, and that's back to this this social uh, relevance that that one one needs to think about. You know, because if you think about money, a head of family again, it might not be sympathetic, but he could do great stuff that way. So what this whole uh, journey into clarity is about is for people to truly know what is it that they actually, what are the choices, what are the things that they're choosing by, and how should that influence the way that they move forward. Now, when we talk about moving forward, we also we're talking about you know living an integrated. You know, one thing that I've always had a hard thing with is this whole idea about work-life balance, which I think is an abomination uh, because it's it's something that you know. Totally agree. Mm -hmm. My dad about that, and he would say, "What is that?" You know, <laughs> he lived an integrated life. It was when life stopped being integrated that he felt misery when he was lost. Mm -hmm. So, he because he was not living according to the core values he had. He knew he had to make money, but honestly speaking, making the pigs thrive and feel good and having shiny piglets running around was more made made him more happy than anything else. Mm -hmm. Now that made him very unpopular with my grandfather, who was all about you know making a making a a contribution to society, but my, what my dad really wanted to do was grow grow uh, happy piglets. Yeah. So in an industrial age, he couldn't live according to that. He felt disintegrated, and maybe the whole idea of work-life balance then would start popping into his mind at that point in time. And that's what I'm seeing with a lot of people today: is they don't lead integrated lives. They talk about work-life balance, but it's not about that. Uh, I think it's about something else. Um, it's understanding. Uh, it's understanding your principal values and the ambitions that you may have in many aspects of your life. Oh. So when we work with leaders, we we definitely don't just talk about their professional value system, which you know a lot of other people do that. I mean, every you know, but what we talk about is also what it what it happens in their personal life. So what are the values that are important to them to live in relationship to the significant others that they have in their lives? Mm -hmm. And what are the values they also have in their relationship to themselves, which have got nothing to do with the family or the kids and stuff like that? And what are the dilemmas that exist between these different value systems? You know, a lot of people, when they talk about uh, work-life balance, it's all about that these values don't match up. You know, so they want to do excellent work, maybe. So they have excellence as part of the value system professionally, but they have family and. Uh, so how do they make you know and, and so how do the how do they live live out both of these values? And it's making people understand these dilemmas. It's making them understand that a value system can be contradictory. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all know that. The French civic virtues are the best example of contradictory values. We see that in the arms you know, the NRA discussing with the uh, with the Congress in the US. Not to politicize things, but what it is, it's, you know, if you look back, it's all about, is it freedom that you adhere mostly to? Is it freedom wearing the pants? Or is it brotherhood? Uh, and the same thing happens in individuals. We have these inbuilt, ongoing dilemmas, which, when, ta when living under value to its extreme, will always lead to that you will exclude other elements of your value system. So which ones are wearing the pants in which particular situation? So you can have a set of values that are in your professional sphere that create a dilemma in a particular context with your values in your personal or private sphere, and how do you deal with that? Instead of saying you can fix the problem, you have to work with leaders in such a way that they constantly, all depending on the context, can uh, reconcile these dilemmas as an ongoing thing. So instead of telling them one shoe fits you, it's giving them the, the, or the old saying about instead of teaching people 
instead of giving people a fish, which would be one solution, we are trying to help them understand how to fish, how to work around these, because it's going to be a constant, especially because of this high flux that you have, this living in constant beta. You constantly get into new situations where it will constantly create new dilemmas. So you're talking about, I mean, you use the word integrated many times, you're talking about integrity, like the real sense of integrity of being integrated. Like you've got these dilemmas and those, those tensions that go on inside, there is that very yeah. large gray area, for example, of the personal and the professional in terms of learning and development, you know, and people yeah. that come to work and they leave themselves at the door. And for me, like when I think about what you were saying, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, having, having an integrated sense of self, even though that there are these dilemmas, how do I resolve yeah. these tensions and still sleep with myself comfortably at night? I've done some things exactly. in the private sphere or the personal sphere, but both of those still sit, I suppose you might call it, if, if you could, a meta value. They still sit, both sit comfortably with me. I'm not screwing yeah. some people over while you know, being kind over here. I can still sleep comfortably with myself at night because I live an integrated life. Is, you is live an integrated life. But that, that calls for constant, yeah. hmm. it's constant adjustment that you have to do because Absolutely. any new context, any new development, any new push, uh, means that you constantly have to adjust that, you know. Absolutely. Like, like, uh, um, just to give you a concrete example, uh, the situation in Greece. Uh, not again, not to be political about that, but you know, I've I've swapped swap between different positions. Oh, they should not be that troublesome, and they should not give people that uh, give Germany so much heck. And on the other side, I'm like, oh, we shouldn't squeeze them that much. I kind of. You know, I'm kind of looking at that as something that influences the way that I think about what's going on in the world. I mean, we're talking about people's lives in Greece, right? And and, uh, mm -hmm. and it constantly forces me into kind of saying, you know, looking at this and saying, okay, so, so even though I don't understand both sides, which one is actually wearing the pants here? What what is it? How do I how do I reconcile my what what this invokes in me? How do I reconcile these different uh, uh, these different movements that happen in me, because as human beings we would like to have one interpretive way of looking at the world, but all of a sudden we're standing in front of a multiplicity of different yeah. impulses or things that are happening in our surroundings, which constantly forces us to re, 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 re uh, reinvent and relook and generate ourselves. Uh, so you need a you need a methodology. That gives you the opportunity to constantly do that, rather than you fix, rather than fixing the problem at one time. That's, I guess, that's again back to triple loop learning and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So otherwise, yeah. you have to deal with with two problems at the same time. Every time something changes, you have to deal with the change itself and with adapting to the change. So yeah. if you have a basic methodology and how to deal with these things, like I, that maybe that's what I'm trying to say earlier with teaching adaptation, is that people learn. To deal with these changes, then instead of dealing with the changes and then learning how to deal with that change, if you just have that basic core uh, methodology, then it's it, it it should be easier to to uh, to go along with the changes that are happening mm. that are happening. I, I, yeah, you're completely right, and I and I think. Uh, maybe to maybe even to clarify a bit. I mean, I think that's the whole. The whole idea of when you have to navigate in this world, then you have to be willing to adjust four things. I mean, your thinking, yeah. your learning, your mm -hmm. approach to learning, 
your ways of doing things, your doing and your being, mm -hmm. your your individual self. Mm -hmm. And I and I think if you just have this, uh, um, if your approach is that well, I have to go to one of the major business schools and pay a lot of money, right. and sit down for a week and work with other people in the same situation, and then come back. I mean, it's not long ago I saw that one of the um, one of the leading business schools in the world has just introduced this. Um, module into the MBA called Future Navigation. But what that basically was, just it, it was actually just a, well, you have these leaders coming in for the MBA, and then you, you sit down with them. You, you actually put them in contact with other leaders and ask them, and, and tell them to ask questions about what's going on in their business. Then they go back, and then they interpret it and actually present it at a conference. The thing is, it, the idea in, in, in theory is really good because it's a different approach and you're not just having this um, classroom teaching from a teacher to a student um, but in reality what was really what could be useful for, for anyone attending an MBA would be able to learn through social technology so mm. you could keep up with that future navigation or navigating the future mm. yourself and you don't have to pay one of the major business schools to actually go back mm. and then you'll have to learn what was just uh, uh, what was just the flavor of the day that day, mm -hmm. but actually teaching people how to do this, teaching people how to learn for themselves, uh, challenging business schools, of course, the whole yeah. business model, mm -hmm. because then it's not just just in case learning, it's actually just in time learning, mm -hmm. where you can connect people all over the world, you can, you can listen in on different radio channels, um, uh, and and having listening posts all over the world, mm. uh, and be connected with other people, and and building a, a also a personal learning network basically where you where you can tap into the zeitgeist. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that's what we're talking about with with the whole sense making part. Mm. The the uh, and and why, for instance, new media literacy is quite important also for leaders uh, uh, today. And and. Anders and I, we are not talking about a social leader. No. I think there's a more to it than that. And and I'm not too fond of people who just say, well, people or leaders have to be on social media. That's just one part of it. Uh, but the dynamics of it, understanding the underlying dynamics of social media, knowing how it can actually improve your critical thinking, knowing which people to connect with, and actually who who shares the good stuff, who do, who do actually... I mean, there's a reason why we, we guys here are sitting here today because we got to know each other through social media, mm -hmm. and then actually we uh, we met at a conference. Mm -hmm. So that whole story about actually meeting first online and then, um, I mean, it's not long ago we met in London, John, where we talked about a lot of things and we talk about private things in our lives that are important to us, mm -hmm. uh, and and just expanding that relationship. But it starts in a social sphere, mm -hmm. uh, and that I think is something. We all need to to tap into because it's it's mm. such a it's such a powerful learning uh, experience, and I think keeping up with what goes on in the world is just that's just a very very useful way of going about it. Um, well, it's it's true. It's the the in, in some cases uh, the answer to a reasonably complicated question that you're dealing with can be almost literally mm. a tweet away. Right, you you can yeah. just post a question on Twitter, and if people are paying attention, then you can have an answer uh, relatively quick that would actually 
solve that problem, something that you would otherwise be taking a long time to figure out or, you know, uh, whatever, which other way you would gather that information. So it's, it's definitely very valuable. Yeah. But, you know, I think um, it's about, if you, if you look at it, one way of looking at it is like, you know, this is um, learning how to navigate in, in, in the social world uh, fueled by, by, by digital technologies is a bit like learning a new language. I mean, I, uh, uh, not long ago, I mean, my, my wife is from Africa and she learned how to bicycle not long ago. And, and you know, I, I had to run behind her, like almost like holding the bicycle, and it's a bit like that. You have to take many of these leaders by the hand and actually sit down with them and have them go through experiential learning uh, where they do this themselves. I mean, I've been, it sounds really, really simple, but I've been sitting down with people who who send out their first tweet at a conference and actually connect it with an ambassador through that way, which was quite important for, for that guy's um, future uh, work. And, and you know, he was just sitting and saying, is this okay? Is, it, is this, should I be doing more? How do I include him? What's his Twitter handle? Uh, who should, what, kind of, what is a hashtag? How, should, how do I put it in there? You know, very, very basic, simple things. But it's like learning a new language. And, 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 and I think this is not just something that is, is uh, is uh, you know it's not just it's just not a, a matter of understanding social media or using media for, for marketing. I'm a very big opponent or I'm in, in opposing that 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 social media is just about marketing. Absolutely, it's a tool to it's a tool to connect with people in the world and have interesting conversations. Mm -hmm. And 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 like Anna said, and just yep. to tie it in with that, you know, if you know your your own value system and what is important in your life. That's how you become relevant to other people also. Having that clear understanding of so what should I be sharing for instance, what kind of conversation should I be engaging in, what's my interest, what my, what's my, my preferences and also making sure that you connect with people who are in opposition to yourself because so it's a matter of also creating of course a sort of a this, these listening posts that are that are not just like yourself, but also people who can actually burst that filter bubble once in a while and bring in uh, uh, different perspectives in life. Uh, and I think, in in terms of when we talk about the compass, it's it's the interconnectedness of things, the the understanding clarity or being having clarity about your yourself as a human being. Mastery is about learning and 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 becoming. Uh, and knowing how to seek sense and make sh and share things, uh, and establish this personal learning network, um, and the relevance part is then how do you engage with this? How do you influence people as a leader? And mm. um, what's your purpose in life? And how do you bring that out? How do you make it compelling for people mm. to actually engage with you in in, in that purpose? Mm. And of course, the agility part, the last part of the comp compass is. Uh, is being able to 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 shift um, your balance whenever it's needed and and uh, and 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 you know establish also you know this is basically also about having a, a an authentic narrative mm. and being able to mm. communicate that to people and 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 shift position effic efficiently without compromising your values that's the agility part of the compass 
Could I say something? Yeah, Because yeah, the example that I gave about Greece is exactly that, that's exactly mm. where my agility was challenged. And I mean, and 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 as human beings, we tend to we want we we, we do like to categorize. We can just see this uh, new movement of radicalization. You know, people join radical movements. You know, the, like in Denmark, we we've, we've had a growth in the ultra right because they say this is right to do, and that's the wrong thing to do. You have radicalization also in in. in like with uh, is in, uh, in the Middle East, where all of a sudden something which is utterly brutal and, and 50 years ago would have been perceived as as complete, you know, uh, as complete unspeakable violence. All of a sudden, that affects people. So people get quite radical because they're not agile. They can't. They can't today. They can't. They, you can't. You can't be in two camps. You know, you just can't be in two camps, and so so you you don't have the agility and the. Uh, uh, Ability to move between different positions and say both of them are right, mm. uh, and both of them are wrong in some sense. You 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 you, you end up in, yeah. in, in categories, and 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 the funny thing that I'm observing, especially about about young people, and I'm, I'm talking about the very very young now. I'm not even talking about my kids are 18 and, and 19, and they even think that they are lacking behind even younger kids who are way more capable of constantly flopping in and out of different realities. Like I have this little uh, cousin of mine, and she is more connected, everybody's got these stories, but she's very connected to someone in Greece also. But what's really interesting is that person in Greece is, is, is explaining the whole Greek situation to her as kids talk about it, and all of a sudden I sit down with a, with a young niece and she can explain to me things that I hadn't just, I hadn't grasped. <laughs> because that is old-fashioned brain. Because my brain is is, is very categorical, and um, and they can do that. Yeah. They do get uh, wired in in a different manner than than we are. I mean, we we all remember black and white television and only having two channels, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and now it's the the amount of channels these kids just are able to absorb is it's it's for us. And we're tech savvy. We're we're there. We're hip. We're trendy. We're cool. But still, I mean, you're just saying it. I mean, ch children, young young adults of 18, 19 year old, having real realizing that they're having difficulty keeping up with this stuff. And then you have, and and it used to be like a funny thing. Explain it to me like I'm four years old. But there's a fair chance yeah. when a four year old is explaining you stuff now that you don't even get it. Well, so, I, I was thinking about that. You know, I'm thinking that there's a thread through the whole of this conversation, which in the word is learning, 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 and all different mm. dimensions of that conversation, which is really vital. And at four years old, by the time we've reached four, most of us have probably learned to climb a tree. We've all learned to speak our first language. We've all learned to walk, and a whole raft of other things before we go to formal schooling or learning. What then becomes mm. ossified in our minds as to what constitutes learning. And it carries on in business schools. You've described a little bit about that, about some of the stuff that people learn, and then the half-life of that knowledge is a week, and then they have to come back and do another thing because things have moved on. We've got an inbuilt ability to learn, I think. So it sounds like what you're, you're kind of trying to reignite or tap into is people's natural ability to learn and to shift the perception of what constitutes learning. And I'd like yes. to kind of ask at this point, because we, we've touched on it br briefly when we spoke before, Kenneth, just in case versus just in time learning. Because the, the title of the podcast, which I failed to mention, is Why is Learning Important? And it's, it's in the context of this, these, these changes, developing the users of the tools, not just giving them new tools. 
No. Yes, exactly. Yeah. exactly. But also sometimes, you know, we forget that you can't just be introducing tools to people without explaining the use of it. Well, exactly. And yeah. I think... Uh, um, you know, I, I, I think there, there are many aspects in this, and I think what Anas was talking about here is also a matter of um, that, you know... Um, a person that I respect highly is, is Roger Martin from from Rodman School of Management. You know, he's written this book called The Opposable Mind. That 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 wonderful book. Thank you for the recommendation. I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah. Basically, it's about being comfortable with not just being in 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 looking at the world in 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 sort of A and B choices, but also that that your solutions to things can actually come from a combination of A and B. It's not an either or, but it's a both and. Yeah. Um, and that both and is of course extremely uh, difficult for many people because it's an in, it's it's sort of an inclusive way of thinking that you can't exclude uh, everything and in, and in, and it's you have to take in more uh, variations of 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 choice basically um, and uh, and I think I think this all boils down to decision making. And do you make you make the right decisions, and and maybe some of the challenges or the the problems we've seen also with the financial crisis is also that well you know mm -hmm. we tend to make A and B choices. Exactly. Um, mm, and uh, and and when we talk about changing perception, it's also about being comfortable with not just choosing A and B because that's that's the most comfortable choice mm. or mm -hmm. comfortable space. Mm. Mm. And if because because I was just no no I was just listening to my own thoughts and, and some of the things that were being said was I, I I got to think of a very old colleague of mine his name is um, uh, Ralph Schneider who who once gave a little speech about you know different organizational realities and he and he said this fantastic thing that uh, this is now we're talking just ten years back and he said you know we have a first generation leaders that means like leaders that have grown up in an old old reality. That does no longer exist, leading a second generation organization or second generation organization, which is old reality, also something that doesn't exist, in our third generation reality, which is what we're facing right now. Yeah. Why, and, and with new social media, I would love to add on to that picture and say, well, with a fourth generation workforce, which are actually on the brink of emerging reality. Okay. So the kids we're seeing today that grew up with smartphones and so on and so forth, we haven't even seen what that's going to do to them. Yeah, what, true. what we're doing right now, we're still we're still like, you know, we're still lacking behind. We have the obligation. I mean the, and one of the things why I love to work with leaders and executives is because uh, you know they're representative. They're representative people of society uh, to some degree, but the di big differentiator is that they have way more influence. They actually have the power to influence things. Mm -hmm. uh, today, that power is tied in with even more obligations to actually being aware of what is going on and, 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 and should, people should force themselves into learning and learning how to learn again. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. I'm 53. Uh, come on, you know, f five years to retirement. If I make a lot of, if I make my bonuses the next four or five years, yeah, well, that shouldn't stop you because in four or five years, everything oh. everything changes, mm -hmm. uh, and you're the person in power. So you you need you you simply have the obligation to do so. You can't get radical. You can't say, oh no, I'm just gonna be like over here. You know, I'm just gonna focus on making money and then 
to hell with the rest, you know, I'll be back and, you know, I'll retire in five years, I don't care. Because, you know, if the, our leaders in organizations do do that, especially now with the growing influence of big, uh, big organizations, um, they, they definitely have to take more responsibility on relearning how to learn. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's, that's the key, it's relearning how to learn. That's the thing that will, I think, help folks sort of survive and thrive in, into the, well, now and into the future, really. But it's that, yeah. it's, that, it's that process of learning how to learn. Once you've got that, I think things, I, I think I have more hope if, if, if I saw more people having that. But, you know, again, it's, it's tied into the current educational system of what we get told um, on an unconscious level, just in the messages of how learning is delivered, of what constitutes learning and what doesn't anymore constitute learning. Yes, you maybe did that to learn how to walk and ride your bike or whatever. That's not learning. Learning is this. So it's tied in with our educational system. You know, it's quite a big context that you guys are working in. And I know, Kenneth, you and I have talked about schooling yeah. and, and Africa and things like that. So it's quite a big stage you're playing on here um, of getting creating yeah. a shift in understanding of how learning happens. Yes, and, and, and I think it's it, we had this conversation fairly recently, Anas and I, and, mm. uh, uh, and I think it, it's... Maybe it's the material, the material proof, or hopefully with with time, that our legacy project should be to actually, or we want to create this project yeah. where we yeah. establish a school in in Cameroon mm. um, for for obvious choices. I mean, uh, it's to live an integrated life for 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 me and my family, for mm. my my African uh, wife and her family. Uh, is to it's, Anas has always had a dream of helping street children, you know. So, oh. so there are all these things coming together, but also we see a potential. Um, this is about doing good, of course, but it's also it's a, there's also an egoistic uh, aspect to this because we can learn just as much. Oh, and, and I think what we can learn from Africa is actually um, the value of human relationships because it's a relational culture that I think in many aspects of the Western world that we've somehow lost um, that relational culture for good and for, for bad. There are some value in that, that, that uh, you know, in Africa you don't ask uh, people, so what do you do? You ask who do you know? First question. Uh, so I think that says a lot about, about that approach and I think that's something we want to um, build into what we do and, and of course put some money aside to, to actually run that school and I think also bringing leaders into that local community and strip them off their titles let them be in that actual reality mm. and that, that environment, that local community where you strip them for the, of their titles they can't come there with all their answers they have to be in the question with people and acknowledge that they might actually have a better solution than they have Mm. But that that the real value of learning is created in that space of being comfortable, of being in that that uh, that flux, uh, flux, and 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 acknowledging that people can actually teach you something in any situation yeah. in life. There's there's yeah, there's, an, there's an actual example that was uh, some years back. Maybe you, you have heard about this, but it was actually PricewaterhouseCoopers, which was working together with uh, the UN, building a program called Ulysses, in which they would take some of their most income-earning junior partners and send them out in a, a defined a third-world project in order to see how they could use their 
profound uh, skills as consultants in PwC to help a local project. So what, what they would do, would they would re-engage them in concrete practice and responsibility of, of what my decisions, you know, my decisions, my financial decisions, what consequences do they have, what are the people I'm looking into the eyes, uh, what it, how are my decisions going to influence these guys? And then what they would do is on the sideline, they would have facilitators sideline with these and they would visit them on an ongoing basis over those three months. And when they came back, they would try to integrate this new learn, this new way of learning through practice and putting things into play in the real in a real context with real people, not just in a in a in a policy or practice of policies, but you know, in real practical implementation. And what is that what has that done to me and my understanding of myself as a leader? And my responsibility to work through the world's world and my agility, you know, how do I, you know, constantly, how do I constantly stay agile because, you know, because, so I work in a global organization, so the decision I make here influences China in this way, but it does influence India in that way and so on and so forth, it's constantly changing of positions. It's a, it was a phenomenal program and, and in many ways I think that what, what Ken and I do with our legacy project is really saying, you know, uh, yeah, it's easy for us to sit down and have these ideas and these thoughts, but we have to walk that path as well. Yeah, uh, we can't just, we can't just sit around because that would just be another set of classroom teachers preaching from a philosophical or a practice point of view, rather than actually really working with it and looking at what does it do to our own value system, what does it do to our own perception of reality in this world. Mm -hmm. And I think it's and uh, in, in, I, I would say part of what I love about this new social reality and 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 uh, is, is these opportunities are way more accessible than they used to be, mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's just something. Yeah, I think we as if we want to preach this, we have to walk. We have to we have to walk the talk. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I would be. The stories you told about those the PwC folks going, it's like the the stuff that they take on whether by accident or design and bring back to their home countries as well will create yeah. some really significant ripples. You know, you go there and you, you know from having traveled to other places apart from your homeland that you, you, you develop an ability to be affected by others, otherwise you just don't survive. Uh, you just, you go to India and then after two days go, I have to leave. If you're not open to be affected by others, which is, you know, no. kind of core to actor training or improv training, then yeah. the, the ripples and things that you take on and the stuff therefore those PwC folks brought back in terms of how you might view policy decisions or how you might view corporate decisions has some yeah. really good knock-on effects as well. So what you're talking about is sort of some deeper and I think networking, network building, it's community building. You kind of look, like you say, look people in the eye and encounter them and I'm going to be, yeah. affected, I'm going to be affected by you. This is going to change who I am as a person and I say wonderful to that. I think it's absolutely fantastic. That that stuff occurs yeah. in the world. Yeah. Well, uh, for me, it was for me, and when, when I heard about that project, it was an eye opener for me. Because also, it was an eye opener in the sense of you know, uh, you know, it, that you actually have organizations that do that kind of stuff, and it's not really globally known. I, I mean, it's something that they do because they think it's necessary to do. That's right. I always uh, fascinating. I, I come across that a lot, uh, and, and I think that. What we also what we're trying to say also, and what is built into our compass, is this whole thing about you know, you know, can we, could something similar, the effect of this, learning people how to learn in real life, uh -huh. in real in, interrelationship with other people, 
how uh, can can we could, couldn't that be useful in in a, in, a, in a different line of contest? Couldn't we start utilizing th that way of thinking also in business schools rather than in, than just just you know reserving it for practitioners in different organizations? Shouldn't it be something that we as as um, something fundamental? Mm. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Fundamental. It's the question that comes down is how do I live my life, not how do I live my business life, or how do I live my life as a manager. How do I live my life? You know, your perception opens really widely. And I think about you know conversations that we've had around generalism, for example. It's you know how do I live my life? It's about experiencing all of these things, and they all add to my life. All of it does. They all enrich me. It, it would be a very a very nice if you had the uh, the start uh, of, a, of a young people young person's life when they they come to school instead of uh, they learn how to regurgitate whatever information is being put into their head exactly. in order to uh, to to pass a certain test at some point. Mm. Uh, yes. If if you would be able to teach them how to learn the things that we've been talking about now. Uh, making uh, your jobs obsolete, John and Amit, and then um, mm -hmm. that would be a good thing, by the way. <laughs> and then, but they they would come into life with a completely different notion of how to uh, go about life in general, and, um, and the the results of that would be difficult to imagine, really, how 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 that generation would perceive. The world and how productive they could be and how innovative they could be. I mean, we're already doing pretty good as a people, but uh, we could do a lot better. And uh, I like this way of thinking where <laughs> we actually try and do something about that. Mm. What what you guys have been talking about? I'm is like you're preaching to the choir. I'm on board with yeah, that. Stuff. What as you as you bring out your your compass and you present it to to folks. Um, what what responses are you getting? Because it is a, a big shift in how we see work, life, learning, and all that stuff. Are, are people challenging you with some of this? Are they are they struggling a bit? Like what what, what what's the rest of the world saying? Because I'm I'm your fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's an interesting question. Um, we had some. You know, we've we've sort of spent a lot of time in the in the workshop. Figuring these things out, and how can you actually work with this? How can you apply this in a practical manner? You know, I've I've been attending the um, Global Drucker Forum for for many years, and and there you had the likes of uh, Gary Hamill and uh, Clayton Christensen and Roger Martin and Steve Denning, some very very clever people talking about all these shifts and changes. So I think it should be no surprise to anyone anymore that this is going on. The interesting thing that that Clayton Christensen said at the last Drucker Forum in November last year was that, well, maybe people have to give up their their that they're clinging on to all their old models themselves just to spur one idea and actually build on on each other's models. And I think that's what we try to do: incorporate. This is not rocket science, and it's not new. But what we've been what we've been trying to do is actually to to do this in a practical manner and, and, and do an, and how do does this work in the real life uh, rather than just talking about it yeah. and when you when you ask us about the the feedback that we get from people is that we've had some 
meetings with some quite significant people and in large organizations and they if they take the time to sit down and talk mm -hmm. to us so we don't do meetings mm -hmm. that are just half an hour 20 minutes come and give me the bullet points if the people say that we say well this is not for us find someone else to work with yes we, we actually demand that they set up three hours to have a conversation around mm -hmm. this <laughs> them, first of all what their challenges are and we don't come in and present the compass. We just have a discussion around this. What we found is that often the challenges that they mention is completely something we've, we've sort of inbuilt how you work within the yeah. compass. That's just, that's, that's of course because we've taken some time to think about this as well and had, I think, some good feedback from people along the way. And then we've gone through iterations. We've actually been practically applicating this in real life. Yeah. So we've done some work with leaders over, over many years where we've been doing and testing bits and pieces of this and co going through iterations constantly. So it's not a new thing as such, but it's the, it's the interconnectedness between yeah. things that people really, really seem to get and see, holy Moses, this is really interesting. How do you, how do you, how do you really work with this? And that, that's... Yeah. But what we've also discovered in this yeah in this process is that people often have a hard time saying well well you know we have all these systems in place so this is how we, we do things around here we send people off to IMD or to Howard yeah. and uh, we send them off to our high-flying uh, big business schools and, and and well how can we do that and, and, and I think this is not a matter of that you have to implement all of this, it's just a matter of co-creating with, with people and, and, and organizations. That well, you, you probably do some of this really well already. And then if you can add a bit, a bit a chunk here about about clarity, which is I find is quite important in all of this, well, that might be the solution for you. And some people would go all in. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. What, what what I find is is because uh, I love that question. Right? It really is a nice question. Uh, what those three hours that we usually insist on gives us is an opportunity to show the interlinkedness between the different elements of the compass. So each element by itself, uh, you know, if we present that, people will usually go, yeah, yeah, yeah we've done that. Yeah, yeah, we've got one, we got an out, one outfit over here that does that. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we'll send people off to IMD. So each element by itself, it's it's not, it's it's just like you know, yeah, everybody's got a bottle of vodka, in 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 the cupboard. Uh, well. I guess, or gin, if it's England, but we all have some kind of, you know, we all have the basics there. So what we sometimes do when we go in is really just recognize that organizations actually do a lot of good. You know, they do a lot of good stuff. Yeah. We're just trying to link it and see what will be the synergetic effect of if we link these uh, in a different way. You know, what if we link all that you're doing with adding this on here and that on there, which is the co-creational part. And I think what uh, one of the things that, that, that helps us get to that point is we, we always, we start up with this whole thing about our learning principles, which is this whole thing about practice first. There's no discipline or there would be no trait which which came just from the business school. Everything is built on practice, which yeah. also means that any organization performs this practice in a different way. So any initiative needs to be built up around the spirit of the existing organization. So we're saying, yeah, so the, the, you know, every you know, every carpenter hammers his nails differently. Uh, and, and there's some trade in it, there's some experience in it. And that's why you got a business model. So we're saying, how can we build on the existing thing that you're doing 
and just make and, and just emphasize that before we change anything. Second thing is we have a clear definition of that we have a systems view, which is that we see everything as being interconnected. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying is we 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 will not if we go in here all the all the different learning initiatives that you have around that you have around in your organization so uh, sales versus production versus hr everything needs to somehow be consequently linked you can't just have seminars that are around how to make the best sales and have some guy come in around that and then over here you've got somebody who talks about leadership that needs to be linked um, and, and what we're also saying is it's about integrated learning. So when you, you can't have McKinsey operate over there and we work with HR, if we have to work with you and if it truly has to make an effect, we need to cooperate with McKinsey and they with us in order to create, uh, in order to, to create the culture in the organization. Uh, so by saying that, uh, by bringing in our learning principles, I think what they're getting also is then when we show them, when we kind of show them the compass, they automatically understand the systematics in how we are doing it. And what we're saying is, so yeah, so we'll, so each organization, the mix will be different. The mix of what you already do and what you are needs to be in the concept. So we're not kind of coming with a done concept. You do this. If you do this, the world is yours. You know, you'll be. The one in the world, Howard will write a, a uh, will write an article about you in five years. Instead, we'll be saying we we got we got to work operate exactly down the lines of what you're already good at. Oh. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does yeah, make sense. Yeah, that's. I mean, it sounds very eco ecological, ecologically sound. <laughs> 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 yes, and and everything, everything connects to everything else, sort of thing. You know, it, it works with the ecology of the whole, and and kind of putting up some of those, putting some of those connections together that may have been absent, and going in there, going, look, I, we have to work with everything, and you have to make sure everything is working with everything. Is a really sound fundamental thing to do, I think. Yeah, I, I, and, it, and it ties in also with the with the notion that in in this world that we're living in now and and, and will be inhabiting in the future, I think it's that the time of fixed models is completely oh, dead. Completely. I mean, completely. And the the time of the McKinsey model bringing in uh, this model and dragging it down on top of the organization and cutting away all the fat, that doesn't work anymore. No, no, no. Both of us have worked, which is, uh, for instance, uh, it's an Indian uh, conglomerate called Mahindra, and they have this new initiative. They didn't know whether they should call it a vision, a strategy, or what they should call it, but it's called Rise. And what's so interesting about it, and, you know, I'm just—it's just one example of how one organization has approached this way of have, working on all levels in an integrated way. Uh, is that they, they, they are partnering with everyone. So, mm -hmm. so their idea is that you've got to partner with your vendors, and your vendors got to partner with you, and, and, and you've got to partner with the local community. So they have this whole partnership approach. Uh, and it's just, it, it's like one organization that really lives an integrated life. Mm -hmm. And in its, in its wake of it, it's also creating leaders that live integrated lives. I've never seen a more mm -hmm. A, a group of more hardworking people for as little pay as they're being paid in India who, who are actually proud of what they're doing. Uh, can, can I mention the, 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 some of the projects, just the CSR project? Because mm -hmm. they, they, for instance, they were doing these, they're doing these projects. They don't even call them CSR projects. They just call them their obligation, where they are uh, doing eight projects. Like they were a part of what they call the Lifeline Express, 
just a, a train that's being sent around into different rural areas uh, where they do uh, they do different operations like like you know against blindness and I think it's what it's oh. called uh, cleft cleft yeah so this isn't that so what they do is they pay for the train to drive out there they pay for they, they and they uh, fly out the surgeons and they pay for the surgeons to fly out there with a volunteer uh, so they just operate 24/7, and then what they do is they uh, they ask for volunteers from their own organization. And what's really interesting, these volunteers then um, go out there and they're being paid. So they they are still on a, on a, on the payroll, and you can volunteer as, as many years as you want. So you can do it again the next year for two three weeks, and the next year for two three weeks. And what's so interesting is they started up these programs, and they in the beginning they have several other programs. Too much to mention here, but. They start up these programs, and what's really interesting is that they they have these repeat people that keep contributing to these programs because it's on the payroll. They're doing doing work hours. Uh, it doesn't cost them a dollar, and uh, they, but so when they started up, the first year they had two thousand, the next year there was five thousand, then they were up around twelve thousand. I don't know how many. They must be around twenty-four thousand people that volunteer their time. The company pays their wages while they're doing. What it's they call payback work. work. Yeah. It's actual work. It's specific. And, and it yeah, would, yeah. when I asked the organization, what about retention? Have you looked at retention? How, that, how does that influence retention? It hasn't hadn't even dawned on them. Because hmm. for them, it was the idea that if they could help their employees uh, do good in this world, and, and it did. They were part of their local community. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It was mm. like 6% of their revenue goes into these projects. 6%. Uh, I mean, they're a big player. Mm. So it's just interesting. Uh, but it goes to show also, I think this, um, I mean, uh, how your purpose actually ties in yeah. in with your business uh, well, model and, and your business, uh, yeah. the way you operate a company, that that the whole idea of looking at CSR as, a, as, a, uh, as one one project you have to take care of in, in one silo is just completely wrong. Yeah. It's an integrated part of doing business, and 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 that's for instance when when I talked about the um, the behavior shift, then mm. the the whole shift from actually giving rather than just taking, being a part of the local community and giving back and, and making sure that you actually you, you in in Mahindra's case that you enable people to rise, live a good life, coming back to that yeah. as well. You know what constitutes a good life? Well, those people who actually engage in those um, in that volunteer work, they also f have a very very strong sense of uh, um, you know of self worth of of actually uh, helping yeah. other people. Mm. And 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 just imagine what that does to your engagement at work. Mm. We I think we got it all wrong when we talk about that engagement is something once again have to engineer. Yeah. It's a scientific approach to management, which uh, yes. completely wrong in this completely world that we're living in. We have to yeah. look at completely different metrics to to get that right. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. And it, it it's you know if I think if I'm a little bit sort of um, fluffy about it when people are engaging in that sort of volunteer work. It, it also begins to see help help us to see help them to see how we're all interconnected with each other. You know, we're working. They're working with folks who come from different sort of life situations, but they they regain that sense of I'm actually connected to everything that's going on. And in a world where there's lots of these dangerous slides and shifts happening, I think we need to have a mechanism, the point, want of a better word, to to reconnect with the rest of the the planet 
and see that what's mm. going on in the Middle East and so on in Greece is yeah. is me. You know, it was interesting the whole after the the Charlie Hebdo massacre. Just we, Charlie Hebdo. Everybody begin, you know, to identify for people to identify everything else that's going on in the communities. It's good for business. It increases engagement from a bigger picture, but it also increases lots of other good things about the well-being of the world. So yeah. But but you know, John, that's, that's part of what we work with in the in the relevance yeah. part. You know, in the organizational work with that we do, you know, social relevance. How do you become relevant through your actions and not just through a, a branding marketing yeah. exercise where you try to brand purpose? I think uh, Mahindra is a very good example of a company who actually lives this while yes. you have Coca Cola trying to own the word happiness. Oh. Doing, doing, doing the same work they always done, just spraying out commercials and trying to do these happy events. Mm -hmm. but, but that doesn't necessarily um, change things. And, and you can take Nestle as another company, another example of a company who really talks about having a purpose, but they really, really have a hard time living up to that. And, and people are out on social media today, and you cannot be relevant in people's perception. That's right. Uh, if, you, if you live that um, sort of double life. Yeah. 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 So purpose is beyond. I mean, they have they have a, a stated purpose, but the purpose that they actually enact doesn't fit the world anymore. You know, that maximize shareholder value as their purpose is yeah, not. That's why the values purpose doesn't doesn't match their their actions either. I mean, yeah, yeah. They 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 have this 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 sustainable or whatever. You know, obviously they have the 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 popular buzzwords in order to. Uh, put themselves on a certain uh, an image that they, that they create, but at the back end of whatever it is that they're doing, they don't care. They're, they're still they're not walking that walk. They're just doing whatever uh, promotes the most revenue uh, that they can possibly get out of it. And uh, but, but you know, is, is a brilliant idea uh, example of that. Yeah, but if I can say something to that, I I, I I'm not sure, I'm not certain whether there's a will behind those actions. I think it's more complacency. Now in my many years of experience with, with most of these, with most of senior executives, there's an enormous amount of goodwill there. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's an enormous want of doing things differently. And, and many of them, when they kind of fall back and say, oh shit, you know, nothing's going to happen. It's not because it's not because they don't want to. It's just because they don't know how to, uh, or there's no there's no uh, outlet for that goodwill, that human goodwill that I detect in many people. Uh, and and part of what I think is is I would even say part of what it is 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 built into the compass is is actually that people can learn different ways of letting that. Good will come out uh, because you you know uh, it's it's about relearning your role. It's about relearning your influence. It's about relearning uh, your your opportunities. It's about being agile enough to actually take these chances. It's about engaging on a different level than you've done before. It's learning. How, it, you could you know I don't want to get too philosophical about it, but it's kind of relearning how to humanely interact rather than just leading or rather than just doing your work, but to humanely interact with your environment in a relevant uh, way. And I I'm think not even sure if it's philosophical. I'd, I'd say it's just a very realistic perception of the world that we live in. I mean, it's something that, that John and I have discussed on, on, on numerous occasions, is that 
uh, we tend to lose sight of the humanity of of things of the developments that we go through, and we're so focused on the digital uh, age and the technology and and what the technology can bring us, and and yeah. we just stop and and more uh, clever and ways to do some of the bad things that we're now realizing aren't so useful for us. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We only humanity. Yeah, yeah. But, exactly. you know, but you know what I really like about it? Then it, the word, the, the the concept we use to describe that is actually transformation, business yeah. transformation, yeah. Yeah. digital transformation, blah blah transformation. Yeah. This enough, you know. Basically, this transformation is an adjustment to a culture shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if, if leaders understand that this is a culture shift in yeah. in many aspects, yeah. that they have to to adjust to and not just call it a business transformation, a yeah. digital transformation, a wow. HR transformation, a transformation of, of uh, CSR. In my in my opinion, that's a um, that showcases a lack of understanding of, of things how things interconnect. Yeah, absolutely um, agree with that. We're we're gonna be winding up shortly. I have one final question I'd like to ask both of you and i I probably could guess the answer, but I'd like to hear it. From your mouths, are you, future shifts. Are you hopeful for the future? Bearing in mind all these shifts and slides and things that are humanity is going through, are you hopeful? Are you hopeful for the future? I think it depends on when you ask. <laughs> in the morning. I think I've, I've caught, I think I've got you in a good mood. So. Yeah. Well, it is. It is. I, I've often wondered about that. Yeah. To be honest. Um, um, yes, I see a lot of people yeah. wanting to change. That keeps me going. Mm. Uh, I see how difficult it is for a lot of people, and when you lend them a hand and explain some of this stuff to them, how much uh, they get out of it and how profound change they, yeah. they can actually bring forth. So that makes me very positive. It makes me very positive also we have a younger generation who seem actually to 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 actually at least wanting or or or, or seeking this mm -hmm. this um, kind of meaning and purpose in life in a, maybe in a slightly different way than, than former generations. I don't know if that wasn't the case in the sixties when we have the old hippie uh, movement, but at least that makes me positive in a, in a in a certain way. I also see the the willingness among especially young people to just play with things, to remix things, to 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 come up with new ways of combining things and and actually trying to solve problems in the world by asking what's my why and what why am I in business? You see that a lot in, in young entrepreneurs, I think. Um, and then you have the the bad side of it is when you look at the whole Silicon Valley culture, where it's basically about Making money in a, in a, in a um, for a lot of people at least in a in a short time and just um, living the good life and 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 I think I mean having travelled as much in the world as I have I am not necessarily always positive because I've also seen how we pollute a lot in the world and how people are living in really really difficult uh, circumstances so. I'm 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 sort of an ambulant I'm ambulant with it, with that question though uh, no, <laughs> to be honest. Can. So that's why I said depends on when you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very very good question. I I think that there's a couple of levels of where we can answer. Yeah, I don't think we would be working on the compass and trying to launch it if we weren't hopeful. True. I think it's 
it built into that, and I think it's a built. It, it's a fundamental human drive that we always believe in the opportunity of changing things, and I think we should. What makes me, uh, what makes me, uh, but I think one of the things that really makes me hopeful, and and which always kind of makes me, you know, just you know, literally dance sometimes, is when I, um, when I see the young generations uh, continuing to be playful. Uh, the, 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 will be by the old way of seeing things judged as being constantly naive and, and, and playful and non-responsible, I actually see that as probably the best trait that they have. And I hope, and I'm also seeing older generations, I'm noticing my own generation uh, being constantly playful and constantly willing to experiment with things and reality. It, that makes me. That honestly makes me very, yeah, very positive about the opportunities that are out there. Uh, so, so I don't know. You know, on several levels, I'm very, very hopeful. And and, uh, and I, I um, uh, yeah, uh, there's a lot of facts that should that might go against this, but I do, I do, I do, I do think I refuse. I, you know, I refuse to give up hope. <laughs> That's good. I'm with you. I'm with you, Alice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yeah, we do need to wind up. It's been a real pleasure. I cannot believe. Good goodness. Hour and a half. Yes, yes, yes. That is. It's been a real pleasure talking with you guys. And um, yeah, thank you so much for giving up your time to to join Brocky and I. So. Um, for having us. Thank you very much for having us, Chris. It was a real pleasure. Real pleasure, yeah. Uh, so um, that wraps up this week's podcast. And until next time, um, we'll say farewell. And you can subscribe at rwcast.com. <laughs>